And then what's your um official title? Oh, it's Superbase, just a developer advocate. We've had many of those. <laughs> they tend to be the ones with the time to go out and talk to people because they're getting paid to do it. <laughs> John Myers, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You are a developer advocate at Superbase, which is very exciting. We have had two episodes already about Superbase with Paul and Ant, and so we're excited to get a developer advocate on. I've always said that you can kind of tell where a company is in its life cycle based on who's going out and doing the podcast. Is it the CEO? Is it someone in the C-suite? Or is it a developer advocate? So it seems like Superbase is at the level now where they can hire someone to just go out and do podcasts for them, which is very great. Yeah, finally reached that level where the CEO and CTO don't have time for this kind of stuff. <laughs> Too many things on fire. Why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself? How'd you get into coding and how'd you get involved with Superbase? Yeah, my name's John Myers. I started off, well, I guess if you go way back, I took a programming class back in high school. I actually got dropped in at like six weeks in and it made no sense to me and it completely freaked me out and I thought that I couldn't do programming. And so I kind of like steered well away from it for a very, very long time and went through a whole bunch of other careers to finally end up falling back into programming. So when I started doing programming at university, it really, really clicked with me. And then I started teaching the course in like the second semester that I was studying there. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'm okay okay at this and really enjoyed kind of teaching and learning at the same time. So when I finished university, I went and taught at a boot camp. And then I got a little bit over teaching the same thing over and over again, and not kind of getting presented with those more challenging problems, more unique problems of working as a software engineer. So I went and worked for a real estate listing company here in Australia, and then a bank was working as a software engineer for maybe three or four years, and then moved into DevRel. I did a short stint at Prisma and then moved to Superbase where I've been up until now. So DevRel is kind of this nice intersection where I get to see more challenging problems and more interesting stuff. I'm not sort of teaching the same like introduction to programming, this is a variable, this is a function kind of stuff. I get to teach more like practical how you integrate something with something else stuff, which is much more interesting, keeps the job much fresher. But I do get to scratch that itch of being able to teach people and being able to create educational resources and help other people learn things. That's cool. I didn't know that you had worked at Prisma before Superbase. Actually, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a, it was a very short stint. It was only like two or three months. I was kind of contracting there. But um used that as bargaining power for why Superbase should employ me because at that point prior to Prisma I had no developer advocate experience and I was trying to move into a startup who was looking for someone to kind of run all of DevRel. I got to do a very short stint at Prisma and then kind of use that as a negotiation tactic to getting in at Superbase. That's cool. So if you're running DevRel, are there other DevRel people working at Superbase right now? Yeah, so I'm not running the entire thing. At the time, they were kind of looking for their first DevRel. And then me and Thor, who was working at Stripe at the time, we both started at Superbase around the same time. So we kind of, I guess, kicked off what sorts of things we do as DevRel and kind of set the tone. And then more recently, Andrew Smith or SilentWorks Online has joined us and also Tyler. So yeah, there's four of us now, which is very nice. We're kind of spread a little bit across the world as well. We still haven't got anyone in the US, which would be very convenient given all of the podcasts and things like this that we need to go on. But we've got good coverage across like the APAC region and then into the UK. Be curious how you think about separation of duties and like who does what. Do some people focus on like certain kinds of content or some people are they more community focused versus content focused? Like how does like division of labor work? Yeah, totally. So the way that I see it, the way a lot of people see it is there are kind of three different 
pillars to developer advocacy. So there's content creation. That's, I guess, what I fall into most where you're creating YouTube videos, writing blogs, doing live streams, going on podcasts, things like that. You then have the community focused side of it. So people talking to the community, getting them excited about the product, sending them support resources and things where they can find answers to their questions and links to documentation and making sure that the documentation is fairly up to date. And then the third pillar is, I can do this, I can remember. Oh yeah, the third pillar is kind of like the product feedback side of things. So I guess this is where the only part where the actual like advocacy part comes into it is because you're talking to a lot of developers and you're getting a lot of feedback, taking that feedback and feeding it into product decisions. So kind of advocating on behalf of the developers using the product, what sorts of things are the most important to be working on? We kind of fit into different slots at Superbase. I don't think we've had that conversation where it's like you fit into this box and you fit into this box. I guess because we're a startup and there's just like so much we need to do, we can all kind of just work on whatever we're best at and whatever we're going to kind of have the most impact on. And so for me, being in Australia and outside of convenient time zones, kind of being in probably the worst time zone for doing things synchronously with the US, going into the content creation side made a lot of sense for me because I could do that asynchronously. Obviously, live streams, maybe not so much, but doing video tutorials and writing blogs and all of those things I can do at any time. So yeah, we've kind of just leaned into the things that we're probably feel most comfortable with. And then if something outside of that needs to get done, then we'll have a conversation about it. But I guess that's how we split it up is just what can we do the best at? So we've had some episodes about Superbase already, but those were quite a while ago. And for any listeners who haven't heard those, why don't we go ahead and let them know what is Superbase? Uh, yeah, I probably should have mentioned that up top. So yeah, Superbase is, I guess, primarily a hosted Postgres database. You create a new project with Superbase and we go and host that for you and give you a URL and a connection string to connect to that. We then kind of wrap a collection of convenience tools around that Postgres database. So we have auth, the ability to sign in and sign out, and also some authorization stuff around row-level policies written in your database. That determines who is allowed to see that content. Real-time is subscribing to real-time events. So as things change in your database, your client application can get notified via WebSockets that things have changed. So your application can update the UI. We offer file storage, so the ability to store larger content or images and music or movie files. We've just recently launched Edge Functions, which are a wrapper around Dino Edge Functions, which is very cool. Yeah, we've also recently released GraphQL. So we've built a GraphQL plugin for Postgres itself and then have wrapped that up into our hosted Superbase project. So when you create a new Superbase project, you will automatically get a GraphQL endpoint that you can interact with as well. Yeah, I know the GraphQL and Dino edge functions. Those are both definitely new since we last talked with Paul and Ant. And it's actually really funny. If you listen back to the episode with Paul, we were talking about GraphQL stuff specifically because this was like when I was starting to get my job at Steps End. So I was like, so what's the deal with like GraphQL stuff? And he's like, oh, you know, right now for us, it would just be, you know, a huge loss of focus, you know, like, and so it was just kind of kicked down the road. I'm glad that it got kicked down the road, but eventually actually got done because the GraphQL thing is very cool because what you did that I think is, is very smart and very much in line with the kind of super base ethos is that you didn't build a GraphQL thing into your dashboard. And that's what most people do if they want to like create some sort of like nice GraphQL interface, like you'll have something where you'll log in, then there'll be like a graphical editor that's kind of like embedded into it. You can do queries through, but you actually have now a Postgres extension that is like a native Postgres extension that allows you to do GraphQL. So could you talk a little bit about 
what exactly is a Postgres extension and what makes that kind of unique? This definitely all kicked off because of the genius of Oliver Rice, who pitched this idea of being able to build GraphQL on top of Postgres. So I haven't had much experience with writing a Postgres extension, but I believe it's Postgres that you write in. Maybe it's C, maybe it's something more scary, but a Postgres extension is something that you can install on any Postgres database. So usually there are some extensions that are provided in certain environments. So there'll be extensions that exist within an AWS hosted Postgres instance, and then you can install your own custom ones just from the source code of that. I'm going to claim that they're in C because I feel like there's a make file and I associate make files with C. So I'm just going to I'm just going to make the statement that they've written in C for your Postgres database, but that may not be true. But yeah, as you were saying, that's very in line with how Superbase tends to build these features is we've always looked at, is there something that exists out there in the market? Is there an open source product that we can support or a maintainer that we can support to build this thing and then just integrate it into Superbase? Or is it something that we actually need to build in-house? So with building GraphQL into Superbase. It was obviously something that didn't exist out in the world rather than just building it internally and offering it for just Superbase instances. As you're saying, we built a GraphQL extension for Postgres. Any Postgres instance can run this extension and get all the benefits of that GraphQL piece on top of any Postgres database. And then we just made that available within our hosted instances of Superbase. That's definitely a very cool thing about the ethos of the company is looking for either ways to support what is already there and bring them into what we're offering as Superbase or look at building something that other people can use out in the open source community and then again making it available, integrated into everything else with Superbase. So is it just an extension where you would just send GraphQL queries to the database or does it come with something like a graphical where there's some sort of UI that you can interact with? Yeah, it's still sort of in development at the moment. So I don't think... I don't think it by default gives you a graphical interface to play with. You can plug it into any other, like you can run it through Hasura's GraphQL playground interface to be able to look at it visually. But yes, it gives you the ability to write the code to translate a GraphQL query into a resolver that can query your database in Postgres. It introspects your database to pull out all of the types and then it gives you a few resolvers by default. So how to get all of your collection, how to insert or update or delete something from that collection. But then if you want to do anything beyond that, you can write your own resolvers and write what that would translate to in your Postgres queries. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds a lot like PostGraphile. That was something that we had talked about last time when uh, Paul was on because Postgres takes your database and auto generates REST endpoints. So similar deal. And That would have been like if you had decided, you know, how could we do this without having to build something entirely in-house and pulling something like a PostGraphile would have been probably the thing to do. But building the extension is definitely really interesting. I'll be kind of curious to see where that goes in terms of how it gets integrated into like the Superbase dashboard. But I imagine that's probably still future facing stuff right now. Yeah, it's a very newly released feature. So this came out during our last launch week. So at Superbase, if you're not familiar with the way that we release features, usually we kind of work on things across a period of three or four months or something like that. And then we organize a big launch week where we release a new feature every day or end up releasing many more than five features across the week. So this was one of the things that came out of the last launch week. So this is kind of V1 of this, or I guess probably more like beta version of this. And then we'll keep 
keep iterating on it and pushing out new features and announcing even more cool things probably every launch week. Yeah, launch week is awesome. The Redwood team took a lot of influence from Superbase when we had um like our V1 kind of launch week. We didn't do like a different feature every day, but we had like a whole week where every day we would interview people or announce something that was really fun. And I think that having seen Superbase do their launch weeks was probably where we got the idea from it, I would guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Redwood were very open about that. But yeah, we've had super positive feedback from a lot of people wanting to do launch week similar to Superbase. And this kind of whole idea spun out of the origin story of Superbase coming from Y Combinator. Y Combinator, for anyone that's not aware, is like an intensive incubator for startups. It's a very intense program where you learn how to basically pitch and, and launch a product. And you have a very tight time frame and you have a big demo day at the end where you show off everything that you've done during your Y Combinator batch. Anton Koppel, the CEO and CTO and co-founders of the company, wanted to kind of keep that as part of the culture of the company after finishing up at YC. That's kind of what we're trying to emulate. We work on things throughout this period of time. And then we have this demo day or this launch week where we do a big event where we talk about all of the cool things and show them off to the public. It's very cool. And I imagine you probably have one coming up in uh, maybe a month or two. Yeah, we do. I don't know if the date has been announced publicly, but I believe there is a date. It's fine. This isn't going to come out for a while anyway, so it doesn't really matter. We probably will have already done it, or it's probably coming up very soon. So yeah, keep your eye on the Superbase Twitter probably would be the best spot to find out when that is. Let's get into the edge functions a little bit. So before we talk about edge functions, I know there's Superbase functions. I'm not sure if Superbase edge functions are considered like a subset of that or kind of how all of that like branding works. So like, what is the deal with functions on Superbase? Yeah, this is something that gets confusing because of yeah all the different kind of iterations that we've had on on what we offer as functions. It's always been something that the community has asked very, very loudly for. We've kind of been looking at different ways that we could do this properly. And I think we've settled on a, a really good solution with edge functions wrapping around Dino. But yes, what was already available in your Postgres database was Postgres functions. So that's what we started with. So you can write in a collection of different languages. You can do just standard SQL. You can do PL, PG SQL which is like Postgres's procedural language that gives you a few more superpowers. And you can also write them in C if you're you know, a crazy person, or you could uh, write them in, I think, V8 as well. So you can write some more familiar JavaScript if you would like. But yeah, so Postgres functions exist within Postgres databases and just give you the ability to write some programming statements, but have direct access to your Postgres database. We then released, well, they're called Postgres triggers currently. They will be renamed async triggers, I believe, soon, probably by the time, well, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, because it's something that I'm meant to be working on. This was the ability to call an endpoint somewhere on the internet. So like make a request to an API anytime data in your database changes. So you choose to subscribe to particular events on particular tables. So let's say you want to subscribe to insert events on your posts table. So anytime anyone inserts a new post, it's going to make a call to this API and say, here's the new record that's been inserted into the database. So this was Superbase. What did I say before? Superbase, no, function hooks. Function hooks is what it's called. Async triggers is what it will be called. And then more recently, we have released edge functions. So, so we kind of, we had those two different ways that you could write this kind of programming logic. So you kind of had Postgres functions in your database, and then you had this kind of webhook style thing where you could subscribe to changes in the database and call an external webhook. 
but everyone was just saying, well, why can't we have that serverless function or whatever whatever that API is on the other end of our of our function hook? Why can't that be in the Superbase instance itself? We did a lot of time, a lot of investigation trying to work out what the best way to do this was. We looked at a whole bunch of different providers and settled on Dino being definitely having the best offering for for what we wanted. So Dino is a similar to Node bit different to Node, but a similar kind of programming language. It's built on TypeScript. If you haven't checked out Dino, it's very cool. They have a slightly different way of like pulling in packages. So it's not like you just NPM install a package. You need to point to where that package exists on the internet or locally. And then you can write similar Node-ish kind of stuff in a Dino function. And now you can do that within your Superbase instance. So we have a Superbase CLI where you can create a new function and that will create a little folder locally that has the serverless function that you can open up and edit. And then you just deploy that and it will go off to be hosted on Dino. And then, yeah, that gives you the ability to use that in function hooks within your Superbase instance as well. Yeah, I've been following Dino pretty closely for like two years now. I remember when I was first learning to code and I was kind of looking at different you know, open source projects that I felt like were kind of interesting and and coming up. That was one that was like still very early, but very obviously going to be important at a certain point. And so I was like kind of learning about it. And I even did a, a meetup talk for like Dino Paris, like a really, really long time ago. And then wrote a bunch of blog posts. And it's only really been probably in 2022 that it seems to have started to finally pick up in terms of like companies using it and um, other frameworks starting to integrate with it like remix now works with dino and kind of like an experimental mode and then netlify they now have their edge functions that are using dino and we we talked to someone from the Netlify team and that that episode will air before this one. I was curious, you said that you get your function going and then it goes as hosted on Dino. So is that Dino Deploy? Like do you integrate with Dino Deploy specifically? Yeah, we do. Yeah. So Dino Deploy is where the function is hosted. You get a little bit more in your Superbase dashboard around that. So you get like logs, access logs, and we also set some environment variables to make it easy to connect to your Superbase database from Dino Deploy. But yes, you could also just go and host a completely separate Dino Deploy function or even a Lambda function or any kind of serverless function and then tie it into your Superbase instance using function hooks or async triggers, maybe. But yeah, this gives you the ability to have it integrated in with the rest of the tools that exist within Superbase and appear there like in the dashboard alongside the rest of your database. I remember there was a Superbase blog post a while ago that said there was going to be like different phases of rollouts for like different types of functions. That was a while ago, so I'm not sure if that's still a thing or not, but are there like other phases that are like coming up now? Uh, yeah, I think the different phases, I think we're looking at Postgres functions being that first phase, async triggers allowing you to request out to other things and kind of subscribe to those changes in the database, and then looking at how do we do serverless functions on top of that. So you've always been able to just create a serverless function in anything else that you're working with. Like if your client application is written in Next.js, for example, then you've got your API routes folder, which gives you serverless functions. And so this Dino Edge function part of Superbase was looking at bringing that into the Superbase platform. I guess the benefit there is you can kind of conceptually think about these things as as separate concerns. So if you have 
serverless functions that are related to the data that exists in your database, and then maybe it makes more sense for those to kind of be conceptually coupled with your database and in your Superbase instance. So an example of this is like, I guess, integrating with something like Stripe. If every time you create a customer in your application, you want to create a Stripe customer in your backend, that's kind of like a concern that's related to the data that's stored on the back end that doesn't really relate to the client application that your user is using. So those kinds of things where you want to automate those tasks and subscribe to changes in your database and then have it automate other things that happen and other data that's created in your database, then yeah, it makes sense to kind of have all of those things existing in your Superbase instance. And I found the, the blog post I was thinking of, it was three stages. The first stage was give developers the ability to trigger external HTTP functions today using function hooks. Stage two was trigger serverless functions on AWS or GCP. And then stage three was release our own serverless functions. So I'm guessing that's kind of what ended up becoming the Dino functions thing. Yeah, so I guess we've kind of like mashed those last two together a little bit. So I guess the, the initial vision was being able to create those serverless functions within your Superbase instance. So being able to click like, I want a Lambda function and clicking create Lambda function, and then being able to write the code in your Superbase dashboard and that go and update your Lambda function on AWS. And so I guess we've kind of combined those last two steps. The separation there between those last two points is one is completely just existing somewhere else. So, so you've got a Lambda function that is just completely separate from your Superbase instance. And then us building our own functions, like that would obviously be a wrapper around something like, Lambda, or in this case, Dino. So because that exists within our Superbase infrastructure, it has access to those special things like being able to tie into your database directly and some of those smarts about it knowing about your Superbase instance rather than just being a completely separate microservice off somewhere else that needs to be told everything that it needs to know about how to get back to your Superbase instance. So I guess by combining those two steps, we've realized we want the ability to be able to write this function in our Superbase instance or be able to create that with the Superbase CLI and be able to view logs alongside our, our Superbase instance, but we also want it to have that special integration into Superbase and know that it's a part of your Superbase instance. So I'm looking at the homepage and you have an integrations page. I'm not sure how long this has been around, but you have integrations for different auth platforms, different dev tools and different low code tools. I'm curious if you've played around with many of these. I actually see we have a snaplet from Peter in here. Yeah, so this is something that's launched quite recently. So this is part of our collection of partners that work with Superbase. So we have integrations where you can look at different tools that you can click together with your Superbase instance to make it more powerful. We've also got experts. So we've got a collection of agencies that are working with Superbase and have experience with Superbase. This partners page is a good place to look at things that you can easily integrate into your Superbase instance. I've played with a couple of these. I haven't played with all of them. But yeah, very cool collection of tools to go and check out. I think it's interesting that you have an auth one, like there's clerk, but like Superbase comes built in with auth. Do you put auth on your auth? <laughs> I guess that's one of the things that Superbase has always tried to offer as well is the flexibility around taking some of those features or all of those features, but not sort of being tied into a particular vendor for any of those parts. So if you want to swap out the auth component for Auth0, for example, then you can do that if you want to swap out the ORM or the kind of query builder thing that we have in Superbase JS with something like Prisma, then you can totally do that. We give you direct access to the Postgres instance that's running under the hood. It makes it a lot more flexible 
flexible and a lot more portable if things didn't happen to work out with Superbase. You could just dump your whole Postgres instance and go and host it somewhere else. You're not tied into it only working in this protected proprietary space. Just last month, there was some very big Superbase news. You raised your Series B and it was an $80 million Series B, which is quite large for a Series B, I think. Yeah, it turns out people are very excited about Superbase, or not just Superbase, people are very excited about like dev tools and making devs' lives easier. Turns out that's the way to squeeze the most efficiency out of application development. So it's a very nice number for, for a Series B. Are there kind of like goals that you have now that you've crossed this milestone? Like what's kind of the vision of what to do with all this money? Yeah, there's there's lots of lots of cool ideas. I don't I don't know what's what's out in the public yet and what I'm allowed to talk about. But uh yeah, eighty million dollars offer unlocks a lot of cool features that we can build and unlocks a lot of exciting launch weeks that we can do and a lot of free tier projects that we can host for a long time before running into trouble. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you got so many people's databases just sitting there for free. Yeah, that's right. One of the benefits of at least my job is I get to go and talk to all the people building those things and find out all the cool use cases that that unlocks by having such a powerful collection of tools available at the free tier. Yeah, do you want to talk about some of the the use cases that are out there, some of the things that people are currently using Superbase for? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff. If you check out Made with Superbase dot com i believe which was actually built as one of the things that we do after each launch week or that we have done after each launch week so far is a hackathon and so we we talk about all these cool features that are coming out all these new things that that are being launched and then we kick off a hackathon that goes for a week where we encourage people to build cool things with those new features and and show us what they discover they can do rather than the things that we thought that they could do and then we give out a bunch of prizes and a bunch of limited edition swag and things for the people that win those different categories the cool thing is this made with superbase.com site was one of the submissions for the hackathon so i believe it was the winner of maybe the first one that's very meta yeah it is <laughs> but this basically hosts all of the things that we've been told about that use or that were made with superbase and so it's kind of become a part of our hackathon process we now get people to actually submit at the end of launch weeks we get them to submit their project to made with superbase and then we go through the submissions there to determine who won each of those categories but yeah i recommend checking out made with superbase and having a scroll through and looking at all of the cool things that exist that you could build yeah, I'm looking through the list now. There's a couple of interesting things. There's like a Superbase schema visualizer. There's a build blazing fast websites with Notion, GitHub, Google Sheets, and more. Yeah, lots of cool like page builders and things where you can like click together things to build up a website. I guess because of that real-time subscription aspect, you can do really cool things around scheduling apps and things like that, building like calendar integrations. And yeah, it's very cool. Kizzy, a new way to browse Twitter. Only to check that one out. Not approved by Elon. <laughs> Are there any other things you want to talk about before we start closing it out here? Just go and check out Superbase. Have some fun. Go build some cool stuff with all the tools that exist there. Yeah, let us know what you're building. Yeah, I love how community focused Superbase is. Like having a, a page to highlight projects that people built with them is very, very cool. And I would expect no less from you all. Yeah, and, uh, you had mentioned actually before we started recording that you've been listening to FS Jam for a while, actually. I was kind of curious if you had any like big episodes that you really enjoyed or, or topics that we've kind of covered. 
yeah, I started listening. I was saying to Anthony, I started listening to FS Jam back when it actually started. So I think maybe like episode three or four, I started listening. Yeah, I was like super excited about the Redwood community at the time. And there was a lot of you and Chris talking about Redwood and obviously having people like Tom on from Redwood to talk about why it was so cool. But yeah, there's just been so many super interesting episodes. I really liked the episode of Blitz was awesome as well. It was interesting hearing from the two sides of you obviously being more heavily on the Redwood side and Brandon being on the the Blitz side. But yeah, always been super interesting guests on there. Yeah, it's a good podcast. Keep it going. That's cool. Happy to hear that. Yeah, I always felt like for me, I really wanted to get Brandon on to talk to him because I knew that as a podcast listener myself, I would have loved to like hear those kind of episodes. So that's what usually helped direct me to what I thought would be good episodes or good guests is what I actually want to listen to. So glad to know that that ended up panning out. And thank you so much for being a listener. I'm glad that we got to get you on here. We always really appreciate getting to have fans of the show on to to speak with the audiences so you can listen to it back and be like oh this podcast i like oh i'm on this podcast that i like i've had the same experience of getting onto podcasts that i've been listening to for like years and years and years you know like javascript jabber or something and the way i described it i feel like you're like watching one of like your favorite tv shows and all of a sudden you like walk in as a character on the tv show <laughs> yeah for sure it's always good when there's like quite a big delay as well like you think well not forget that you went on but you forget that it's coming out at a particular time you forget what you said <laughs> yeah well that too definitely and i guess working for somewhere like superbase if something is delayed by like a couple of months usually the whole company has changed or there's like a whole bunch of features that i said don't exist yet that have been launched things come out so quickly the landscape changes very quickly yeah it's always interesting like if my phone just like automatically downloads episodes and then i just open up to see what podcasts are there and like my name is there it's yeah very weird thing very surreal yeah, it totally is. That's very cool. Life of a Devrel. It's hard being famous. And then won't you let our listeners know what's your socials, how they can get in contact with you? Yeah. So the best place to contact me would be on Twitter. So if you go to John Myers underscore IO is my Twitter handle. Come DM me, at me, do whatever. Let me know what you're building and yeah, love to see it. Thank you so much, John. It's a real pleasure. And I'm sure we will have someone else from Superbase on in no time. <laughs> for sure. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. Mm-hmm.